Hi, I'm Paul from Papyrus. For Papyrus Hopecast, we've been talking to Phoebe Torrance. Phoebe is a passionate director, writer, actor, and mental health campaigner. She directed her debut short, Grounds, in 2018, and this won Best Drama at the 2019 Dublin Independent Film Festival. She's had various acting roles, including in Marcus Fleming's Six Rounds, horror film Mandy the Haunted Doll, and Channel 4 comedy Friday Night Dinner. Phoebe has written about mental health and well-being in the Papyrus blog and for support network Book of Man. In 2018, she became a Papyrus champion and has been helping spread the message of help, hope and well-being to many, including the 42,000 followers she has on Instagram. In the first half of the interview, we talk about the thrills of writing and directing. We discuss some of Phoebe's favourite directors and actors, and Phoebe also tells me why it's okay to sneeze on a film set. In the second half of this interview, just to let you know in advance, we cover more sensitive topics, as Phoebe talks about her journey with Papyrus and her work as a mental health advocate. During this, Phoebe opens up about bereavement, suicidal thoughts, eating disorders and self-harm. It's a great interview full of honesty and humour and there's some really useful perspectives on how to manage your mental health and how to get the best out of social media. We caught up with Phoebe on a November afternoon at the Papyrus London office. My first go, so um, do bear with us. It's honestly my first podcast. Is it? I've never done a podcast. No, I've never done a podcast either. No, I've oh. wanted to. Well, this go, but... could go terribly wrong. <laughs> You've recently won Best Drama at the 2019 Dublin Independent Film Festival. Congratulations. Thank That's you. quite exciting. Yeah. yeah. Tell, us, <laughs> tell us about the film. It's called Grounds, isn't it? Yes. Um, so... I wrote Grounds in the end of last year and we made it in January of this year and it was because I was finishing, I did a six month course of filmmaking at Mm. the Met Film School so I did like directing, cinematography, um, editing, everything because I just, I knew that I wanted to transition into some different type of filmmaking but I didn't know whether it was going to be cinematography or directing. Also, I didn't think I could write. <laughs> I, actually, I don't well, think I, I could I, write. I mean, that says otherwise, <laughs> really, doesn't it? Um, and so at the end of the six months, we had to make a short. And so I kind of thought, well, if I'm going to make one, I want to put everything I have into it and make it really good. And so I did a bunch of research and decided to write it on um, something which is really important to me. Um, it was about consent, mm-hmm. but it's very much non-judgmental. I think a lot of, like, what was going on in the media was the Me Too movement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was so so tricky because I'd hear people all the time having the discussion, you know, men are like, oh, I don't want to open the door for you when women get angry. And there's just so much miscommunication. And I think what I wanted to do with Grounds was explore the... F- the feelings of miscommunication. So how um, over the course of a night, like people can change their minds and it's not necessarily anyone's fault. And so I've spoken to girls, guys, and they've all had it done to them and then vice versa. So it's crazy to think the amount of guys that have been pressured and then felt that they can't say no because they don't want to hurt someone's feelings Mm -hmm. or because of so many other variables. And so I kind of, wrote it and it went through like a million drafts of because I didn't want it to seem like anyone was a bad person like yeah. I couldn't make her bad or him bad because the fact is like once you start villainizing a bad person 
um, doing a bad thing, then you can, can't relate to them. You don't think that, oh, that could ever be me, mm-hmm. ever. <laughs> and so I wanted to make it very much like, oh, my God, like, what? I, I probably did that to a girl without realising, or I probably did that yeah. to a guy without realising. So I wrote it. And, yeah, um, it was the best thing I ever did. I loved it so much. And um, it's it went really well. Like, the actors that I worked with, like, I was lucky enough to go to drama school, so I kind of, like... Um, know lots of talented actors <laughs> so I can't like pull them all in um, and I'd worked with a bunch of people because of acting and the, the most amazing thing about being a director is you you get to choose your team mm-hmm. and it's kind of like I was never the captain at school that like <laughs> picked their team I, I was like the last person I yeah I, I remember that in football oh, yeah it's not fun yeah not last fun. one to be chosen yeah yeah same <laughs> um, but I got to be the person that chooses everyone and it means that kind of you get to choose who like everyone has you you have like your vision but then everyone has their own vision and so I loved the fact that you could collaborate on this thing and make it ours rather than mine Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is really important because the problem I found with acting was like it was just too much of me and I felt I was being too judged on who I am as a person mm-hmm. and what I look like, everything about me. But with directing, it's not like that at all. So you're an award-winning director now. Yeah. How does that feel? How did you won awards? What does that feel like? Good. It, I, I, it's it's the best feeling ever because it means that the next project I do, then people are gonna. Give me more money. <laughs> yeah. so, so you are planning on future projects then? Yeah, yeah. Have you got anything already in the pipeline? Yes, yes I do. Can we, can we hear about it? Yeah, yeah. totally, totally. Um, so I'm quite obsessed with horror films. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, probably not a good thing, especially with like the mental health stuff. I don't know, it's not... But I love them. Good ones. I'm yeah. not talking about rubbish ones. Um, and... I think that there's a really great niche at the moment in the market for female horror directors because there just aren't any. Um, and like, I see these amazing production houses like Bloom How Bloom's Production Bloom Bloom House Production who make the most incredible horror films, but they're really like kind of thrillers and psychological and so so intelligent. Um, and so it's been on like the back burner for a while that I've wanted to do one of those, and so I decided to write one and so I'm writing one at the moment we're going to make it as a short first but then we're going to make it into a feature so it'll be like a normal full length film hopefully in like Netflix or somewhere <laughs> that'd be great um, and it's very much um, the, there's this folklore in Jewish religion I'm Jewish so it's kind of like all like knitting in um, about dibbics and um Back in the day, they would have lots of people um, with mental illnesses that they would say were possessed by a dibbuk. But because they, like, now they're lucky they look back on it and they're like, oh, that wasn't a dibbuk, that person just had a uh, really bad mental illness. And so um, the what my film is going to be about is kind of like dealing with grief and depression and it presenting itself in a dibbuk. Mm. So possession, um, yeah, lead female, it's gonna be great. I'm so excited. Yeah. yeah. Well, if, if you're writing it, then you can cast yourself, can't you? Oh my god, no, 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 no! I would never do it because, like, actors, you you have to be very confident mm. if you're going to direct yourself because then you don't have anyone kind of like a director's job is to play with the actor so you kind of like work together but the actor never really sees what they look like it's only the director that kind of like has that vision Mm -hmm. and if the actor was to look back at it it would take so much time and so much money um for them to watch it back and kind of direct themselves because you do need directing because at the end of the day like you don't know how it's coming off on screen Mm. you might be thinking you're giving one thing and then you're doing the opposite so you'd have to be very like certain yeah and i'm not very certain yeah I, I, I think i'd prefer to tell an actor what to do or 
have an actor tell me, have a director tell me what to do as an actor. Yeah. And I don't want to, like, yeah, no, no. No, I'll never be in any one of my own films. <laughs> so, um, talk about uh, mental health as um, almost like a theme for that kind of horror yeah. um, you talked about consent in your film Grounds do you, topics like that kind of inform a lot of your writing and mm-hmm. your work 100% yeah um, very like everything I do I think because I find I find it interesting and because I want to make a difference in these things and they're conversations that I want people to have I think like the best feeling is when you for me the best feeling for me is when I watch a film and it it like I learn something as well as enjoy it and kind of like I'm taken away by the magic of it and Mm -hmm. stuff but it's so nice where like it can make me feel less alone because someone's going through something that I went through or I learn about culture that I had no idea about or um so many different situations like that's what makes me feel good about watching art mm. um, whether it be like theatre, film or TV um, so I think with everything I do if I get to write it and I think probably if I was going to pick like if I got a pick of scripts it would definitely have those themes Yeah, something that but it's just what makes me tick yeah well it's such an important message to spread and it I suppose it informs people in the right way in a way that they're able to manage. Yeah, because people, like, it's it's such a universal way mm. of learning. And you don't even realise you're learning. Mm. And there's so many little things that, like, film and TV have taught us. Yeah. Um, yeah, media, TV, film, it has such a, an influence over us. Mm. What an amazing thing you're doing by having a positive influence. Yeah, there's so many negative ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we still we still watch them unfortunately. oh totally yeah. and me too I mean hey I, I love horror films yeah. not all of them but have like great teaching aspects <laughs> at all so films obviously uh, it's a big part of your life and you post a lot of film recommendations on mm. Insta stories what are your all time favourite films if you, if you have one that's a big question to ask yeah so I'm on this thing called Letterboxd which is like a social media for film like you log what films you you watch and you like rate them and you like talk about them and on there you have to like choose a certain amount like five favourite films at the top um, so I have actually spent a lot of time thinking about this because I had to choose but it does change depending on my mood because I think that's the thing with film for me depending on your mood yeah. It changes yeah. so much. Like, there are films that I've seen a billion times, but because I just love watching them, but they're not necessarily my favourite films. Um, but on Letterboxd, it's Interstellar, Donnie Darko, um, The Handmaiden, Ex Machina, or Ex Machina. I, I don't know. I thought it was Ex Machina. Machina. That's what I've been saying. I mean, I, like, I know, I know I'm the film dyslexic, you're talking about. so who knows? It's a brilliant film. <laughs> it's wonderful, absolutely. Um, yeah, and so it, it just depends. I mean, I loved Minority Report, which is like an old one. That yeah. was the first DVD I ever bought. Actually, it's quite good, isn't it? I don't normally like Tom Cruise. But, I know, but it's good. so good. I think he's quite underrated. And I know he's such a popular actor, but I think like as an actor, he's underrated. Yeah, although, could you say he peaked in Top Gun? I mean, that's probably one of the best films ever, isn't oh, it? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Like, Mission Impossible 3. Oh, it was just so sad. It really was. With like... Um, Oh, who's that actor that died? Oh my god, he's so amazing too. And they were in it together. Um, he's Bond. You can't really like him. <laughs> I can't think he's talking about. No, he's really good. He's amazing and he's dead. Philip Seymour Hoffman, yes! I knew. Yes, Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'm, I'm not quite that old. No, I mean, he's been a famous actor since he was like... Okay. Wendy. All right. Well, notes for um, this afternoon. I'm going to Google young <laughs> Sigma Hoffman. Do it. Um, so, in terms of inspiration, obviously you're inspired by film, and your um, your sort of your, your your current interests are writing and directing. What directors inspire you? Mm, well, my favourite of all time is Christopher Nolan. Because yeah. he writes everything. I mean, his mind is just like a plethora of incredibleness. 
he he did Interstellar, didn't he? Yeah, did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Interstellar, Inception, um, so many, so many. But um, Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. He's incredible. Pan's Labyrinth and Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak, not many people like. But I, I haven't seen either of those. But did he direct Mama? Um, Have you seen that? It's yes, a I've, seen film. It. I've seen it. I, I don't know. I thought that was in that. But he's he's so great. Terrifying. Yeah, it's actually based on a foreign short, which was really good. Have you seen the short? Mm-hmm. Is it scarier? Yes. Yeah, because I think the thing with horror films are it's so much scarier when you don't see what the bad guy is. So like in um, uh, what's that movie? Okay, I'm, I'm, I will forget the reference. But it's when you see what the bad thing is, it's not it's not scary anymore. Yeah. The unknown is so much scarier. Um. Darren Aronofsky is unbelievable. Um, he did Black Swan, yep. which is amazing. And um, also Mother with Jennifer Lawrence, which I did love as well. Um, and then Andrea Arnold is amazing. Um, she did... Oh, what's that movie? Um, with Shia LaBeouf. Uh, and they go... Oh, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. That one. <laughs> yeah. So then, but, but, but like, there, there's so many amazing directors, especially at the moment, like, you, especially when they make so many amazing films, it's mm. not just one. And it's, there's so many things that go into making a film that unless, like, the director has final cut, but even then, even if you have final cut, like, there's so many other things that could go wrong and so many other impacts of, like, studios and money people and actors everything everything so yeah that is so talented and in terms of actors mm-hmm. in uh, a hypothetical world if you could work with any actor let's say living or dead oh that just makes it like yeah I've made it harder, harder now okay. sorry any actor okay. who, who would you pick or, or actors I mean I'd love to work with like um, Christian Bale or Edward Norton. Um, Emma Stone. I think she's amazing. Yeah. She's so amazing. She can do everything. Um, they're quite current. What are older ones? Yeah, I feel like... They're good. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a film we're going to hope for in the next ten years. All of those actors together. Yeah, I mean, they should, they should work together. They would be great together. I mean, Edward Norton and her did in Birdman. Which was great. Oh, I seen Birdman. Oh, Birdman's really good. He's an amazing director. Is I that the one where they, it's like one continuous shot? Yes. Yes, and I, it's I, not I actually, have seen it's it. It's not actually one continuous shot. They've just cut it to make it look like that. Yeah. There is one film called Victoria that is all just in one continuous thing for the whole film. It's incredible. It's like yeah. German. Yeah, it's German. Imagine being an extra and like sneezing accidentally mid-shot. Well, you know, you it's fine because you were just um, like, and that's something you learn like as an actor. Like, my mum always told me this one story of like when she was in the theatre and like um, the phone was supposed to ring and it didn't ring, and that happens all the time. Like, there are so many things where it's live. So, say for example, when you couldn't cut because you're doing a one long shot, Mm. you just make it real. Like people sneeze. So who cares? <laughs> you just say bless you and carry on. <laughs> it's when people realise that they mess up and are like, oh, sorry. It's like when I used to audition, um, oh my God, you would just go so wrong. But as long as you don't like admit that you've gone wrong and you just like bring it back to the script, mm. they're like, you're amazing, that's yeah. so smart. So never break character. No, exactly, exactly. also a passionate mental health advocate and you became a papyrus champion in 2018 um when did you first hear about papyrus tell tell us about that journey yeah that must have been about four years ago um 
I, when I was younger, I found um, the Charity Mind because it's mm-hmm. um, bigger. It was the first one I came across, and I really wanted to do something that was about mental health. Um, and I kind of like not. I don't really. I don't really in my life prior to four years ago. I didn't really know anyone that volunteered. It wasn't. I didn't. It just sadly wasn't a part of my life. Sorry, mum, dad. Um, uh, and I kind of just wanted to find a way to help as much as I could. So I started like running for charities um, and for Mind and Make-A-Wish. I always did those two. And I was like, I kind of want to find something more specific um, because I wanted to. Um, and it took me a while like because I'd been running and raising money for, I think, longer than four years ago. Um, kind of since I was about 18, 19 maybe. And um, yeah, I, I think I must have found it on Instagram because I sent a DM and then we had a long um, phone conversation and then I um, got put through to the London office because it was her, like literally the first week. So I went and saw her um, like I was the first person that visited Wow. So it was the, the comms department you had a chat with first. Yeah. And then they introduced you, you to our London team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because obviously before that, they weren't based in London. Yeah. Um, and I had reached out saying that I wanted to help in not just raising money. Um, and I, I, I didn't want to, because it's my creative job, I, I didn't want to, I don't want to get paid for it. Mm-hmm. I just want to help. And so the only way I know how to do that is to donate my time. And so I was like, how can I do that? Like, is there something I can do? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I went and I saw Artie um, in the London office and bless her little heart, um, we spoke for like, I think like at least two hours and most of it was me crying. Oh. <laughs> it really was. It was the first time that I'd ever spoken about a lot of the things that were going, that had gone on in my life. Um, and yeah, I'm I'm really glad that I did because after that, um, we kind of. She was like. It was it was the first step to becoming a champion, mm-hmm. like, because I wasn't ready to like talk about it openly, and um, a lot of being a champion is talking about it openly if you want, um. And so, yeah, it kind of I guess like started healing me. Yeah. Yeah. So you sort of kind of touched on that there, that you, you actually have lived the experience and, um, you know, you say part of what led you to Papyrus was that experience. Are you, do you feel comfortable to share a bit about that with us? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Um, yeah, so when I was about 17, um, actually long before that, I have had a quite bad history of self-harm mm-hmm. and an eating disorder which um, uh, actually quite a lot of the time go hand in hand because eating disorders can be very much like punishing yourself and hurting your body and like that feeling of pain, which is a lot of um, of self-harm anyway because mm-hmm. there, there's so many different forms of self-harm. Um, for me, it was very prevalent. Um, from such a young age, I was just really depressed and um I mean I find like my diaries and they are really really horrible and sad and 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 it's so strange because like I like there's no reason I have the most wonderful family and I have the most wonderful upbringing anyone could have ever asked for and I really do mean that like I have they're the best but and, and this is what I like, I think what spiraled so much of my self-hatred was because of that. Because there was no particular reason of why I was so distraught all the time and why I was hurting so much. And I really think that I just would compare myself to other people who have it really bad and it would make me hate myself more and just etc. It would just carry on like that. Um, and... Yeah, it made it made no sense. Mm-hmm. I think it was just a chemical imbalance, and I'm on antidepressants now, which I fully um, think save lives. Yeah. And there shouldn't be such a negative stigma on them, mm. um, as long as they work for you. But you shouldn't feel that you shouldn't go on them just because of a bad 
um, name because it doesn't necessarily work like mm. that. Um, and yeah, I just um, in and out because mental health is in and out. I was up and then I was down and then I was up and then I was down depending on what was going on in my life. But um, various like things that people go through like bullying and boys and stuff just can be worse for some people than mm-hmm. it, it was for me. And um, so when I was 17, one of my best friends, um, Rachel... Um, who I shared a room with at boarding school. Um, I left in Lower Sixth and I went and worked at like Sky because I was unhappy. Um, and my mum was just like, you should not be in school. So I went and worked. And then this, in the last year, um, she sadly killed herself. And I kind of, like a lot of what I spoke to Artie about was the guilt that I felt mm-hmm. for leaving her at the school sort of thing and kind of going off and working and having my own life and so that was a really hard thing for me to get through and then I tried to kill myself honestly I don't really remember what age I was I feel like it must have been 18, 19 um, because it wasn't that long after Um, but it was two attempts and I feel really bad that I put my family through it but I think that what I've learned from it and what I've learned from the healing with Rachel is how I want to change people's opinion on it. Um, and I mean, I've done, I went to a really interesting um, event a couple of weeks ago with Artie um, about um, Sikhs and mental health. Mm-hmm. And there was actually a mother there who talked um, and her um, son had um, killed himself. And it was it was really hard for me because mm. I kind of just thought, oh my god, that's how my poor mum feels, and that breaks my heart. And the fact that there are so many families and bereaved members of friends and, and people who it affects. But what I want to kind of change with people is that you really don't realise. It's as if you think that. You, you're, you're not being there anymore is going to make everything better for everyone else mm-hmm. because mental illnesses do that they, they make you be completely illogical <laughs> they really do and it's about teaching others like I never saw when I was younger older people I mean we didn't have social media so it's very different um I mean, we kind of did. We had, like, Facebook and Bebo and, like, MySpace. <laughs> but, like, people didn't openly talk about what they were going through. No. Um, and even on, like, TV shows that I used to be obsessed with, like, Charmed and, like, Sailor Moon, like, Care Bears, like, none of these shows, they didn't really, like, deal with Care Bears. <laughs> I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> it was a great show. Um, but um, it didn't really, like... There was just no way of knowing that anyone else felt like that. Yeah. And at school, there would be, like, whispers of, like, oh, she, she went and did this in the bathroom. Or, like, I like one instance, I had, like, lots of um, scars on my body um, from uh, self-affliction. Mm-hmm. And um, no, no one brought it up. It was not a thing. Like, I even had one teacher, when I, my eating sort of was quite bad, like, she... I had like I got forced into therapy because I wasn't eating during lunch times, and she like squeezed my arm, and she was like, "No, you're fine." Mm. Like really weird things that you you don't really do to people, and it's just because like the previous generations, they weren't allowed to feel like that, and they weren't it wasn't accepted, and I think a lot of people get caught up in thinking that, um, like the. Sorry, I'm really nervous that I'm like going off on a tangent of like no, a billion no, other please, things. Please carry on. <laughs> Sorry. Um, uh, I think that like a lot of people say that it's an epidemic now, this thing about mental health, and that it's um, actually worse now than it was. And I don't actually think that that's necessarily the case. I think that there's just like it's a lot more, people are a lot more in touch with their emotions now. Yeah. Um, and because we're not thinking about like, war as much you know than as 50 years ago and um how we're gonna have a paycheck and like there's so many different things that like that that we worry about now that leave us much more time to delve into our mental health 
And I think that people, rather than pushing these negative emotions down and are like, I'm never going to deal with those and I'm going to get on with my life because we have to, I think then what happens is um, we decide we want to be better. Mm -hmm. And so I've always wanted to be someone who speaks about it and that, like, other young girls or boys or even my age or older can see that it is normal because, like, the more that I've kind of opened up and been like, oh, well, actually, like, this happened to me or, like, I felt like that, even though you never would have thought, the amount of people that have said the exact same thing to me. There's a lot of conversations about mental health being a trend Mm. And that makes me really sad because I don't think that people should view it as a trend just because people are opening up and people are talking about it. Even if, it, let's say a scenario where someone is talking about mental health just to be cool. Like, the fact that they're doing that is probably helping a load of people, mm-hmm. first of all. But if they're doing it and it sounds like it's something that's being done for attention-seeking, that's because they need help. Like, actually, the, these anyone who's talking about it, it's probably just their version of trying to get help. Mm-hmm. Because the fact is that kind of everyone needs help on the subject. Yep. Like, every single human has so many emotions and life it can be really hard and you have so many things that you have to try and deal with. And everything is hard. Mm. And so I think rather than it being a trend or like even that a trend should be a bad thing, it should just be a normal thing that everyone goes through because we all go through it. Mm-hmm. You could say we all have mental health and we always have. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Yeah. What we have now is a generation that talk about it. It doesn't mean it's suddenly a new thing. Exactly. It doesn't mean that there, it wasn't around and it wasn't... Um, as important then as it was now it's mm. just like I mean you see what it's like when you talk with old people who, who are in older generations they honestly freeze up and freak out they can't bear like I've even like tried to force my poor mum to open up more she's like we just don't do that mm. like my house is the most wonderful um, loving honest um, family but there's, there's just certain things that are really weird to talk about like I've had to sit my bum down and like kind of explain to her my, my thought process, especially because us as humans, we're all so different. So all of our minds understand things so differently. For me, because of my mental health issues, a lot of the time, <laughs> I think that everyone hates me. Okay, all the time, I think everyone hates me. And I think that like everyone is staring at me in a negative way and every single comment someone says is either sarcastic or it's mean or it's spiteful. And... That was obviously very hard with my family growing up because everything that they said or they explained or every argument between me and my sister or or my brother or anyone, I would take very personally and be very, 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 very hurt. And it, it kind of like happens everywhere. And I think what really changed, um, I am an adult now, but what really changed the way that I um, dealt with my family and my parents was me explaining to them my thought process of like, well, you said it in this way. And so it made me feel like this. And like, no, I didn't mean to say it in that way. And if you heard it that way, I'm sorry, but I'm actually meant it in this way. Because we we are never really taught that other people think differently to us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something which is so important. Everyone thinks differently. So if we all like... I read this book that was fantastic called like the four agreements and one of them was assumptions and it's like you cannot make assumptions everyone assumes everything I assume that you feel a certain way about something because of the way you talked about it but that's just an assumption like everyone does it and it's something that I think everyone needs to stop doing (laughs) including me everyone needs to stop um but it's just about opening up and talking about how how things affect you and I think if you open up to someone else, they'll open up to you. Mm. And so if everyone starts doing that, then we'll all just be open and we can all just help each other. Well, thank you for being very open with us.
Do you have any advice for anybody who may be struggling with their mental health at the moment that's listening? What would you say to them? Um, yeah, I mean, we kind of covered it, but I definitely think people don't realise the impact of talking, um, how much it can help. If everyone saw a therapist, I think it would help everything. But mm-hmm. even if you're not talking to a therapist, even if you're just talking to a family member or a friend, um, it's like you're getting a weight lifted off your shoulders that you don't even realise that you've had. We're so stuck alone in our thoughts and it's very difficult to have positive thoughts all the time. And it's I kind of I think of it as like a muscle in your head of like there's two muscles. There's like a positive muscle and a negative muscle. And whichever one you use more becomes stronger. And so it's kind of just about rewiring your brain to make sure that it uses the positive side rather than the negative. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really hard thing to do, especially because you get bias in your head mm-hmm. from your lived experiences. So when you speak to someone, even sometimes speaking the words out loud, like my mum sometimes, I mean, I'll go off on these terminals about, God, how fat and ugly I am. And she's just literally like, Phoebe, but I, like I'm, I'm distraught. Like I, in my in the histories, I've like I've <laughs> broken mirrors mm-hmm. and like smashed my room. And like my poor mum. But a lot of the time, like if I just and she kind of knows now. Like if I just get it off my chest, I'm kind of like, oh wow, I kind of feel better. It's mm-hmm. okay. It's okay that I feel this way. So that message is, if you're. If you're struggling, reach out to somebody you can yeah. trust and, and, and talk. And I, I suppose we'll reach out to a helpline, reach out mm. to a friend, family member, a trusted GP, anybody. Yeah, absolutely. Because even if they're not going to give you advice, and a lot of the time it's very difficult to listen to advice when you're in a bad place, um, but they can offer you a different perspective. And even if, even if, worst case scenario, you don't want to listen to what they're saying and they offer you this magical advice which parents usually do and which we usually don't listen to because we're somewhere else, just getting it off your chest, you will start to rationalise it yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think like such a huge important thing is like realising that just so- because something is different doesn't mean it's wrong. If you're thinking something and because you feel different, it, every emotion is allowed, every feeling is valid, everything you go through is valid. It doesn't matter how crazy it seems. The world is crazy and our brains are crazy. Like, it's just about acceptance. Mm. So I've read that you're quite good at self-care. Am I right? Oh my god, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you, I, I, you, you, uh, you use yoga quite a lot. Yes. Right? Yes. This is so funny because <laughs> I had this conversation with my therapist on Tuesday. <laughs> and, she, and I told her about this. And she was like, yeah, but Phoebe, are you going to go and you, are you going to say that you've been like really great on self-care and all these kind of things? Because I've been having like a tough time at times. And um, I was like, no, like the whole point of being a mental health advocate is the fact that I'm not perfect. I like, I I am just human and Mm. there is so much of me that I'm working on, but I'm opening up so that people can see how I'm working on it and try and work on themselves too. Mm. Because it's, it's so difficult. I know how difficult it is to have self-care. It really is, especially because when you're trying to give yourself self-care and you actually tune into your body and your mind and you, you see what it is that you need help with, facing those emotions and facing those feelings is so hard yeah. and so painful. And so it takes a lot of courage, like meditation. It takes a lot of courage to sit there and be alone with your thoughts, especially in a, in a world like now, because we have so many distractions. You can put on a song, you can put on a TV show, put on a movie. There are so many things that you can flood your brain with that just distract you for a little while, mm-hmm. which are great. And I highly recommend people to do that too. But it is really important to take those moments and yeah, yoga. Like I do, um, I, I am really into my yoga at the moment. I used to do a lot of exercise. I still do quite a lot of exercise. Um, but yoga has really helped the way that I kind of 
like your body's a temple and like it's so good that it forces you like there's no music and you can't like put on something to like distract you whilst you're running or whatever and it it just is slow and balanced and calming very much like meditation Mm -hmm. like those pieces of self-care are the things where your mind can be free because that's that's what a lot of self-care is it's teaching your mind like it's like another muscle (laughs) it's like this overall muscle of like calming yourself Mm -hmm. and and kind of yeah because that's that's what meditation is isn't it it's about like making sure that your thoughts can be free rather than like gripping onto them really tight and forcing yourself to go over things over and over and over and over again self-care is about being kind to yourself i think as well Mm. um i i tried you know i tried yoga and (laughs) and i'm a big advocate for it i think it's really really great um i guess everybody has their own self-care but for me it's about just being kind to yourself totally well that's the thing like there is this line of being kind to yourself and letting yourself off easy Mm. and you have to be really honest with yourself about what your body really needs and or like rather than what might make you briefly feel better Mm. my my needs a good run at the moment It's, it's been quite a while yeah. I need somebody to take my body for like six months, <laughs> just give it a good workout and then hand it back. That's what I need. That would be nice. I want someone to do that for meditation. I want someone to meditate an hour a day yeah. for me. <laughs> or you put on Netflix and they're meditating for you. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Um, you share part of your own story on, and you know, stories about your mental health. You share that on social media with all your followers. Yeah. What do you like about social media and how do you manage the negative aspects? Yeah, um, I mean, social media can get like a really bad rep. Um, Social media can get a really bad rep, which can be tricky because it it has a lot of downsides, but it also has a lot of positives. Um, It makes the world a lot smaller and it makes us a lot more connected um, and it makes us be able to keep in contact with people that we, we wouldn't normally. But then mm-hmm. also the other side of that is it makes you think you've caught up with people when you haven't. It makes you think you're connected when you're not. Um, as an introvert, it, it can make you feel like you spend loads of time with people, but you haven't. You've been alone inside your room. So I think it's just about having the um, the safeguard of like a notification of how long you've been on there. Mm -hmm. Like everyone should have a notification because it really, it's addictive and you can find yourself on there for hours and no one should. Um, But for me, a lot of it is not just mental health, it's work. Um, Like the mental health stuff I do on there is because I want to help. (laughs) And I want, um, I think like the first time I did it, the messages I got from people that I didn't know who were going through similar things um, kind of changed my whole view on social media. Mm-hmm. I never really thought that it could be something like that. Like, I never thought that I could connect with people that I don't know and actually help them and them help me. Because a lot of... If I share something and someone messages me about um, something they're going through or one of their loved ones is going through... Um, it makes me feel less alone and it mm. makes me feel that my experiences are more valid, which is the most important thing. But also you can curate it to be a really happy place, like following various accounts that are, I, I'm a firm believer in, um, what's it called when you have like a really positive affirmations. Yeah. So like I have, um, like my phone cover at the moment is like without rain, there are no flowers. And I have, like, my tattoos, treat yourself like someone you love. I have so many all over me that are to remind me um, of, of happy things. Yeah. Because, like I said about the muscle, like, you want the positive one to be the happy one. And so I feel that you can do that with social media. Like, it's... You can make it what you want it to be. Mm. So I follow so many positive accounts, which, like... 
gosh, I remember back in the day, sorry, ex-boyfriend I'm talking about, but like he would make fun of me because I'd like post, because I never, I mean, before, like when everyone first got Instagram, like you didn't put pictures up of yourself. That was just not the thing. Um, and so I put up like really like happy quotes and stuff. And he was just like, that is so pathetic. And I want to change that. It is not pathetic. <laughs> Affirmations are great and they really do help. I love reading little things that make me feel good. And, and it really happens. Even mm. like poems. There are so many wonderful like poets that you can follow. And it just makes everything better. And so it's about that. And also just like Instagram has a mute ability now. So if there's someone who is in your life that you can't unfollow because of whatever reason. But every time you see a picture or anything they post, it just makes you feel rubbish about everything. Just mute them. Mm. It's great. <laughs> so... I guess there's positives and negatives to everything we look at. Exactly. And within, um, you know, Instagram, Facebook, social media, it's not about not using it. It's about using it wisely and yeah. carefully. Well, it's that. It's it's about that whole self care thing. Yeah. It's like checking in with yourself. It's like, am I searching through people's pictures, feeling bad about my life, or am I? Um, happy about seeing this wonderful trip that this person went on mm. <laughs> there's been quite a lot in the news recently about young people having to wait long periods of time for support and uh, for uh, especially with mental health support and appointments in some situations actually having those appointments cancelled that's quite a lot for young people to go through totally. what encouragement would you give them at this moment um, not giving up. Yeah. Um, I think, and there's actually this thing on um, NHS that I've just signed up to because I see a therapist, um, which I have to pay for and can't afford it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but I really can't. So it's yeah. So um, and so I've signed up for this NHS thing, which is online, um, and it's CBT, mm-hmm. um, and so it means that you don't. Have, Whilst I can't afford seeing a therapist, um, and I would like to, I know that other people have the same problems. And I have quite a few friends that have seen NHS um, therapists, and it's taken a very, very, very long time. And especially, like, you only get that treatment when you are at what they claim is death's door, Mm -hmm. which is actually, I think, a judgment which no one can make. You don't know how you're going to feel over the next few days. You could go from feeling a five to a zero very quickly. Um, and I think it would be just amazing. Like I was actually going to look into getting a law. (laughs) This is so ridiculous, but I really wanted to like figuring out a way so that there's funding so that everyone can see a therapist, Mm -hmm. like every single person, like it should be like a requirement. Like if you go to the doctors and you're like, Oh, I think I might need to see someone. Then you get to see someone. Because in fact, the fact is, like, a lot of people will say that their problems are small, but they're big. But the fact that they're saying that they're small is a really big indication of them needing help. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I absolutely agree. I mean, it's like having vaccinations. Yeah. Like, it's you, you have them. That's just mandatory. Yeah. And that stops any, you know, further illness further along. Yeah. and. You're right, if we all had access to the therapies all the time, but we wouldn't I, have yeah. the, the, the issues with mental health we do. Absolutely, but I, I did a bunch of research, and it's really tricky because once you privatise mental health, then um, it separates it from um, the NHS, and then once you do that, like all the money stuff comes in, and it can actually just get worse. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really great if we start to maybe have... Um, more opportunities where people can talk not necessarily like everyone should see a therapist but having spaces where people get together and they talk about how they're feeling and they kind of just all listen to one another I think that that should be like a normal curricular activity if there was just like a space that people in every city could go to doesn't matter how many like I I, I did a um a panel um for the book of man and on that panel was this wonderful man called luke and he um was in the army and he has these um 
group sessions all around um, that he like travels around and he sets them up so that they happen even when he's not there. So they'll go to like a hall and they'll all these men will come together and they'll talk. That should be normal. I think that like even if it was in school that, mm. that it was like mandatory. But I know that therapists need to get paid. But I think that my advice would be just to talk. Yeah. Like and and keep trying. But yeah. but if if you know that. I just think, yeah, everyone should talk yeah. and, and like to their friends and their family. <laughs> and, like... and research as well. There is a lot of therapies out there. You said about online therapies, CBT. Yeah. Um, there are online counselling services. Um, there is support out there, but it's about researching. Yeah. Now, finally, and I think we always like to end on a, a positive message, a message of hope. Yeah. What gives you hope? What gives me hope? You know, it's a really general question. Um, hope in 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 which part? In like in life, like what gives me hope, or like what gives me hope about people's mental health, or like the way the world's going? I'd say just in, in general, what what in the world give, gives you hope, or rather than what are you hopeful for? Um. What in the world gives me hope? I would say how wonderful it is seeing so many people open up. Yeah. Um, it it really is. Like, especially um, people that I've spoken to. Because, the, yes, and I mean, you talked about it, Lois, like, with the trend and everything of mental health. But it actually, it makes me really happy seeing people talk about it and, like, seeing it become more normal mm-hmm. and like having the ability to like talk to each other about these things without being judged like killing yourself isn't illegal anymore like it should be um a conversation which is more more acceptable mm-hmm. if someone is feeling suicidal they should not feel judged if they if they have to tell someone mm-hmm. and i think what makes me hopeful is the fact that that's happening and that people do feel that they can talk to each other and not be judged especially like with the the younger generations like with the older generations saying like oh they're so sensitive you know they're offended by everything well it's great at least they're speaking up about how they feel yeah you know if everyone spoke up about how they feel it would it would help everything (laughs) (laughs) brilliant well thank you Phoebe so much it's been really wonderful to talk with you thank you